0: Well, if you would like to turn to uh, Philippians 4.19, I'll have it on screen here in a moment, but maybe you want to look it up. Uh, Again, we started a series last week on the sufficiency of Christ, that is, the simple fact that Jesus Christ is enough. Whatever we need, whatever God sets before us, whether we need leading, whether we need provision, whether we need healing, whether we need whether we need wisdom and understanding to lay hold of what God has offered to us, Jesus Christ is enough. And we have that in Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And uh, when I talk about the wisdom and the power and the understanding to lay hold of what God has set before us, we may not look on that as a need Oh, I'm hungry. I need to eat. Oh, I'm drowning. I need somebody to save me from drowning. Oh, I need guidance to make this decision. I need. You need what God has for you. God set these things before us for a reason, and we look to the Lord Jesus Christ to enable us to lay hold. I said last week that we're going to start by looking at the top end. The highest, the best, regarding those things for which Jesus Christ is sufficient, is able to provide. Uh, The uttermost extent of what the plan of salvation sets forth before us. We read in Hebrews 7.25 that Jesus is sufficient for that. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost. Now, I'll pause there. I am glad for everyone who gets saved if they take not one more step forward if they learn not one more thing uh, many of you remember that I brought Justin uh, Miller to church I think it was last year and he accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior three weeks later he went to be with the Lord he didn't get very far I'm grateful for everyone that becomes a child of God but he has more than just providing a way for us to squeak in the door. Therefore he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He can save us to the full completion of the plan of God for us. I was I was thinking I would go ahead and begin to talk about the bride, the lamb's wife, today. Um, as I meditated, I felt Uh, that I should go a little different direction. So I'll say that one of those uttermost things that salvation sets before us is a better resurrection. And that's a phrase that I've lifted directly from Hebrews 11.35. We'll read that verse and consider it later. But uh, this morning we're going to talk about the fact that we're, we're children of God and I'll look at the scriptures and we'll see that we are assured of a resurrection but we'll be looking at the fact that we can attain to a better resurrection uh, that not all in the resurrection will have the same place the same glory and although we won't consider this fact today but the same closeness to the Lord Jesus Christ all will be raised from the dead if they've trusted in Christ but Some can have a better resurrection. we'll work our way toward what the Bible says about that. I was going to take time this morning and uh, present... uh, Well, I'm going to put something up on the screen here. Right there. I was going to take time to present the matter of resurrection as we see it in the Old Testament. Uh, But for time's sake, because it's not essential to my primary thought this morning, I just felt like I had to remove it from my notes. But... uh, Uh, There's some verses up on screen if you want to. I'm not going to comment on them. I'm not going to read them. If you jot things down, you can jot those down and read them later if you care to. But I'm going to follow up on a point that I made last week when I said we are in a time when much of the church is operating at a very low level as far as thorough, in-depth, serious study of the Bible is concerned. Um, I sometimes do research online just like you do if you're looking for something. And I I stumbled across a website in which people would ask questions and the owner or the editor or whatever the website would answer. And somebody said, is resurrection taught in the Old Testament? And the guy said, no. And he went on to talk about what the New Testament has to say about uh, resurrection. Well, he was wrong, and that to me is just an example of how careless people can be in their handling of and their thinking about uh, what the Bible has to say. Much Bible truth, I, I I don't. I do all my reading really digitally now. I bought this Bible in uh, hmm, I think it was nineteen nineteen eighty five. I quit using it when pages started falling out. I've had a couple of Bibles since. The paper in this is so thin. I mean, you you have Bibles, and the print in this thing is so... I wound up buying myself a large print Bible, but I can make my print larger on on screen, so that's what I use. But consider... Let me see. How many pages do we come to in the book of Revelation? I'm uh, at the end of Revelation... We're at page 1,353. That's a lot of pages. How many of you have ever read a book other than the Bible that was 1,300 pages long? Oh, that's too much. There is so much there. You can present a tremendous amount of truth and sound doctrine and still leave the Bible half ignored. I, and I don't belittle the amount of truth that is taught, but God has given us a revelation. Uh, I, I may not get through my notes today because I'm going off script, but uh, some of you are familiar with the name Charles Spurgeon. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He was a preacher in the 1800s. He uh, was called the Prince of Preachers. He was a master of the English language. And when he preached and in what he preached, he preached with clarity and reached thousands and thousands of people with the message of salvation, but he sort of restricted his researches to what the Puritans had to say. He was a Calvinist, you know, you're predestined to be saved, predestined to be damned. And uh, he he expressed one time a real scorn for people that go down that bypath of prophecy, because what does prophecy do for the man that needs a new pair of shoes? And it's like, okay, God said this, but we shouldn't waste our time with it, right? <laughs> when you don't understand something, when you don't want to take the time to search it out, when you can't see just on the surface of it an immediate application to your life, you can justify in your own mind ignoring it. And... Uh, This is is why I always encourage people to be in service when they could. Do you realize that this life is not really about our career or our family? I mean, family is everything, people tell you. Family is a big deal, and God ordained it to be so. But this life is about preparing for eternity. And God gave us a textbook that has so much in it, And he didn't waste his time, and he won't waste your time. He wants you to know all the counsel of God. And that's what Paul said. I mentioned that last week. He said, I'm free from the blood of all men because I haven't shunned to declare all the counsel of God. He declared it all. And so we want to lay hold of that. And as I said, much of it is ignored. Well, the resurrection is brought forth in the... uh, Old Testament, the English word resurrection isn't seen. But if you read those verses that are on screen, you'll see that it's very clearly set forth. So what we're going to be considering is a better resurrection. But I want to bring out the very real fact that the New Testament makes it unmistakably clear that all who are in Christ... That is, all who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and received the gift of eternal life, uh, all of God's people have a sure promise of resurrection. I may promise something and fully intend to fulfill that promise and discover I'm not able to call God's promises ironclad is to diminish his promises. There is nothing as strong and as solid as the word of God. So God promises a resurrection to all of his people. Starting with Philippians chapter two, 3, verses 20 and 21, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. There is nothing that God cannot bring into subjection to his will. Now, this verse doesn't talk about resurrection. Uh, Brother Carson Richards, I remember years ago, and and I had to think about it for a while, but he made a statement just in general terms to this effect. He said... uh, you know, I don't remember. there was a question about what's the difference between resurrection and translation, or you just go without dying. And he said, well, actually he said, what is translation but a quick death? Because the body and the flesh and this breathing part of us, this earthly part of us, is just snuffed out in a moment and we're changed in an instant. And so that's a promise. Our citizenship, we belong in heaven. We don't belong here. That, that old song, uh, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Well, Now, that's an absolute truth. This world is not our home. Where is your citizenship? Now, if you want to be a good citizen and do what good citizens do, that, that's not a bad thing. But your real citizenship does not tie you to a single nation or area in this world. Your citizenship is in heaven. And when Jesus Christ comes back, whether, whether our part in that is resurrection or translation, when Jesus Christ comes back, he is going to bring us a glorious resurrection uh, to enable us to occupy our place in heaven with him. I hope you understand, no man shall see God and live. Uh, God dwells in unapproachable light. Uh, These bodies are not fitted, not capable of existing in the full presence, full manifestation, full glory of God. There's some things your body's just not up to. You think you could live on the surface of the sun? (laughs) You think you'd survive in in the power of uh, the the heart of a, of a nuclear power station? I, I don't think so. There's some things we're not capable of. And so when Jesus Christ comes back, that resurrection is going to change us and give us glorious bodies. And then we read in 1 Corinthians 15, 15 1 Corinthians 15, sometimes called the resurrection chapter, verses 21 and 22. For since by man, that is by Adam, came death, by man also, that is by the Lord Jesus Christ, came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now that doesn't mean everybody's going to be made alive. It said very specifically in Christ. God chose us in him, looking down through the ages, through foreknowledge. uh, God chose us, according to foreknowledge, in Christ. He knew that we'd be saved. And he said, all those that enter into Christ, they're mine. And so that was his choosing. Um, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now, this is an inclusive promise. Uh, all those who are in Christ, all in Christ, all shall be made alive. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How do you become a new creation? You accept Christ. You're born again. You have the life of Christ that places you in Christ. And this series is not the last series where we talked about eternal life. But I would like to explain, have somebody explain to me how they really think that they're going to maim the body of Christ. You, child of God, are in Christ. You're seated with him in the heavenly places, in him. And uh, there's <laughs> that's your place. And so all in Christ will be made alive. Romans 12, 5. So we being many are one body. There it is again. We're in Christ. One body in Christ individually, members of one another. And so it's for all. All those in Christ will be made alive. Now, when Jesus talked about resurrection, he talked about two kinds of resurrection. I'm not going to take the time to go to Revelation and see the term first resurrection. Uh, and that doesn't mean that first resurrection just, just takes place, you know, all at once. Uh, it's, it, there will be a second resurrection. Well, let me just go ahead and read that. Jesus spoke of two kinds, John 5, 26 through 29, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all, now here it's not excluded to all, It's not limited to all that are in Christ. The hour is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And the following statement is one of the saddest things in the Bible. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. There's something that's seldom touched on. The unsaved will have some kind of a body that is fitted for their eternal destiny, what they chose in rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. I frankly don't even want to think hard about that. God doesn't tell us much more, if anything, about that, so I don't have to think hard about that, but there it is. well it says those who have done good to the resurrection of life uh, exactly what kind of doing good is this talking about oh, I'm a good person I've done good things had somebody tell me that when I was trying to talk to them about the Lord we're good people we, we do good things I found out they lied and cheated but that, that wasn't one of the good things that they did was to be honest um, what kind of good well doing are we talking about here well Jesus made that clear uh, people talked to him in John 6 28 and 29. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And God doesn't do bad things, so they're talking about what good things shall we do. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Have you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Oh, well done. <laughs> you did good. <laughs> You absolutely did good. Uh, But what I want to see in that passage really is that the all-sufficient Christ is the one who is in charge, you might say, of the resurrection. Jesus is the one who will call forth and bring forth people from the grave, whether righteous or unrighteous. Uh, Jesus said in John eleven twenty five. 25, that's not going to be on screen, but he said, I am the resurrection and the life. If you want to talk about resurrection, don't separate it into an event. Don't separate it into something that's going to happen to me. When you talk about resurrection, understand you are talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe that? I mean, it's the Bible. I am the resurrection and... And the life. Well, this guarantee of resurrection is echoed in, in 1 Corinthians 15 51 and 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Some people will not die. It's talking about the sleep of the body. There is no such thing as soul sleep, where you just unconscious till the day of the Lord. We shall not all sleep. Some will be translated. But we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we, God's people, shall be changed. Paul said we, including himself, as one who had trusted in Christ, as one who had a positive expectation of a resurrection, or uh, he seemed to understand that he wasn't going to live to the coming of the Lord. Some things that he said. Uh, so a, a, an assurance of resurrection or translation is, is there for us. But I want you to notice that it speaks, if you've never been taught this passage, it speaks of a last trumpet. You do understand that there, if there's a last trumpet, trumpet, there's also a first trumpet. And maybe more trumpets. I don't really know and the Bible doesn't give us a lot of detail about all that's involved in this first resurrection. We only know that some will go at the first trumpet and some won't. That much we do know, and I'm not going to go any further into that this morning, but the reality is that there will be a last trumpet, and when when God says, last call, (laughs) any who have not been raised from the dead or translated or whatever it might be, will be changed very, very quickly. So keep in your mind that very obvious fact, last trumpet. There's more than one trumpet. And then as we step forward to the idea of a better resurrection, just be assured that while I'm talking about a resurrection, I'm not talking about the difference between a resurrection to death or a resurrection of life. We're talking about something within that framework of the first resurrection, because you, child of God, are absolutely guaranteed, if you look to the Scriptures and believe the Scriptures, you can have an absolute assurance that if you happen to go by way of the grave, that's not such a bad thing, because where do you go when you go by way of the the grave? Into the presence of God, into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you go that way... You will be raised from the dead with a glorious body. Um, But as we'll see, there is more than that basic assurance, that glorious minimum of just knowing I'll be raised and be in the presence of God. There is that uttermost to which Christ is sufficient to save you, able to save you, a resurrection beyond that minimum that's guaranteed, Hebrews 7.25, again, therefore he is able to save to the uttermost. And I'll pause, definition of uttermost, to the full end, the completion. God has a plan. We may not follow that plan. We may disobey him. We may choose to ignore much of what he tells us. But he's able to save to the uttermost, the fulfillment of his plan, those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession. So here is that all-sufficiency that we find in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I can tell you right now, we're not going to finish this lesson today. But the better resurrection, Hebrews eleven thirty-five: Women receive their dead raised to life again. Now, that's not a glorious resurrection. I remember somebody saying... Uh, You know, what an awful thing it would be to be like Lazarus and to have to die twice. How many of you are looking forward excited about dying? You know, honestly, honestly, sometimes as you get older, you know, I woke up this morning, my ankles hurt so bad I could barely walk, you know, and you have pains and you think, Lord, just take me now. (laughs) But... You know, it's not really that dying part isn't what we really look forward We look forward to the other side, the end of the trip. You know, Joel and Lorraine went to Japan to see Henry. The trip wasn't the exciting part. The reason they went was to get to the other side of where they were going. So, yeah, it's... Uh, That being raised to life again is is one thing, but others were tortured not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Now, based on some things that we've said here this morning and other things that I'm sure many of you know, I sincerely hope that every person here understands that resurrection, uh, salvation, the gift of eternal life, and the resurrection that goes with that are not obtained by being good. You did good when you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not obtained by your works. It's not obtained by some special faithfulness on your part. It's not obtained by anything but the sacrifice of Christ and the faith that you exercised in him. That is why you have an assurance of the resurrection. You accepted Christ and he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. But this verse is talking about something more, a better resurrection. Something that comes by a further step of trust, of faith, of faithfulness. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 15 verses 21 through 23. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall, all shall be made alive. Get this phrase here, but each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Then read a, further, a little further down the chapter, beginning with verse 40, 1 Corinthians fifteen forty. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. A little slow on the trigger for that verse, but there it is on screen. There is a lot to consider in 1 Corinthians 15. But clearly, the Lord is letting us know that there are some distinctions, some differences in glory in the resurrection. And to me, to talk about the better resurrection, and mention in Hebrews 11.35, and to talk about this various glories, and that's the way the resurrection is, putting those two together, they fit. It's, It's the obvious step. The word translated order in 1 Corinthians 15, 23 means that which has been arranged or placed in order. It can speak of a body of soldiers. It can speak of a sequence or a a, a succession. Uh, Thayer's uh, uh, Greek-English dictionary from back in the 1800s, back when there was more serious study, Thayer's uh, Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament refers to, First, and this is a quote, 1 Corinthians 15.23, where Paul specifies several distinct bands or classes of those raised from the dead. This isn't just something that belongs to our little group. It belongs to those that will read the Bible. Whoever, whenever, wherever. It's there. It's a part of it. Brother Thayer apparently thought it was as obvious as I think it is. Various bands, Various groups. And so, just that definition—something arranged in order, orderly fashion. You got a silverware drawer in your kitchen. It's not silver; it's stainless steel or something, but we call it silverware. And there's the forks, and there's the knives, and there's the spoons, and there's the big spoons—the ones I like to use. And uh, we don't mix them up in a jumble. There, we've arranged them in a certain order. Uh, there are six branches of the military, since we now have a space force. You know, I don't know about the Space Force. It just seems kind of, out there some, well, Space Force, yeah, it is. Uh, Six branches of the military, and each branch has many different units, some of them huge units, and they're broken down into smaller units, and people are assigned a place within those units, and they're not interchangeable. They can't just go where they will. When I was in Vietnam, our cook was a man that was terrified, He was afraid he was going to die and he wanted to go to a more safe base. And so he told everybody he'd been transferred and he transferred to headquarters and he went to headquarters. They sent him back. He didn't have any orders to go to headquarters. He'd been assigned to our company and that was where that cook was staying. Uh, There's a certain order. You don't mix the silverware together. You don't just jumble up the units in the military. And that's the way the resurrection is. And a sequence, if you've flown, you know that people are boarded in a sequence. They don't just say, okay, everybody, get on. There's an order to the thing. Otherwise, people get stomped underfoot as you're trying to get to whatever seat you want to get to. Just so, the resurrection of God's people will not be a higgledy-piggledy upward whoosh, and everybody goes and sort it out when you get there. That's not what the Bible teaches. Every man in his own order. Not just something with no order, no arrangement, no careful plan laid out, no obvious fact that God has done something that exactly, perfectly arranged according to the counsel of his own will. And uh, I just about have time to finish the next point. How is that place and order determined? And by the way... There's a lot here, and I'm not going to get into it all, but it's by the choices that we make right now. You want to ignore most of what God has to say to you? You've made a choice. You want to ignore what a godly life is supposed to look like? You've made a choice. And I will say, and, and this is just one narrow thing, but I felt led to include it. it part of it is, is determined by who do we choose to identify ourselves with? Now, I'm a part of the body of Christ. There does not exist today an elite, special, narrow, exclusive group of saints who by virtue of knowing a little something or thinking they know a little something are better than everybody else. There is no exclusive group. There is the body of Christ. One day there's going to be some things happen. We'll get into that next week perhaps. Um, When I was not around people with whose beliefs I entirely agreed when I was in the military, I didn't isolate myself. I went to church in various denominations. I, I didn't necessarily agree with everything that went on or everything they said. But there's one body, and I could gather and have fellowship. But I don't closely identify with people who are careless about what the Bible teaches. I don't closely identify and have close fellowship with people whose lives are in chaos spiritually, on whatever level that chaos may be. I don't closely have fellowship with people who are careless in their obedience to God. I mean, I may have some contact, I may have a measure of fellowship, but sometimes there are limits that you have to put in place. I could ask for a show of hands and and I could say, are there people that you know and that you love who are Christians, but you know I have to limit my contact with those people for various reasons. It's just, can two walk together except they be agreed, the scripture says? If you're going to really walk close with someone, there's going to be some agreement somewhere. And I can't agree with all that goes on among God's people. People create a barrier to close fellowship if you're really going to walk with God. And so we choose a rank. We choose, in, a, in. this is a very narrow part of it, but a part of our choice of what group we're in is what group we're in. Now, if I were living in Timbuktu and there was a denominational church and I didn't believe half of what they taught, I'd go to that place for fellowship with God's people and to receive what I could from the word of God. There's no question in my mind. But I wouldn't identify with all that went on there. That wouldn't be a closeness of fellowship. This isn't something mystical. It's about the decisions that we make before the Lord. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-three, Well, where it talks about, uh, you know, every man in his own order. It's not just somebody's opinion. It's the word of God. And I thank God. For the opportunities that he sets before us, may he give us the wisdom and the grace to lay hold. We'll complete this lesson next week.